Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Week commencing 12th of November 2018. The master is back uh, and quite happy to be sitting in the seat again. So let's start with wheat. Old crop wheat has gone down a bit. Uh, it's 162x farm for December, and if you're selling it for May, at the moment it's 166. If you had to make a decision on trading, um, allowing for the fact you have to store it for five extra months and you don't get the money, the best sale in that scenario is the December price. There isn't much of a carry, and that carry is the, the thing that uh, is the difference between the spot price and the further forward price. And when you make a decision on marketing grain, the only thing you gain from not selling it now, if you like, is the possibility of the market going up. You know, you've got another five months to make a decision. But at this precise moment in time, the best sell is spot. Looking at new crop on wheat, harvest movement into a store where you get immediate movement, which is real harvest movement, as opposed to the pretend harvest movement one or two others offer, uh, is 140 delivered. Uh, and if you're selling at X farm for November, it would be 149. So it slipped below the magic 150, which um, historically the magic was 160, uh, which we all ignored, or some of you did, and some of you have sold some. Uh, we have seen a, a big slice of tonnage come through in the last fortnight while I was on holiday, funnily enough, because the market suddenly started to, to look in a downward direction. And I'll come on to that in a moment, the, 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 the crop tour I did. Feed barley, 161x November, maybe 162. It's the same price as wheat. Uh, it's not going to go down. It's not got the, the, the threat or the pressure. Uh, underlyingly, I think... It's not going to make a lot of difference whether you sell it now or whether you sell it in April. I don't see a massive rally in it. I certainly don't see much downside. There are boats trading at the moment, and, and we're actually shifting some of our, some of our stock onto those. Uh, new crop, X Farm, 135 as available. That's a historically brilliant price. You haven't seen prices like that for feed barley for many years. It's largely being ignored by feed barley growers for some reason. I guess they're waiting for... I don't know what they're waiting for, actually. Moving on to uh, purely on prices, oilseed rape, 320x for November. Um, it's basically been sitting around the same-ish price for several weeks. Sterling strength isn't helping us. Uh, that The pound against the euro at this moment is just under 1.15. 115 is, is you know, it it's, was, uh, I think when we started doing the podcast, it was about 1.10 at the time against the euro. So that's, that's quite a movement and it's not helping when it comes to commodities like oilseed rape. We are still underlyingly confident that the rate price is going to remain firm. There's lots of rumours and counter-rumours about trade deals between Trump and China. Who knows? I would say they probably will do some sort of deal. We had a Canadian in, the, in our office the other day. And he was telling us that the soya from Canada is being readily marketed to China, which is there's more tonnage going there than usual. And the American soya is being exported to 
Canada. So, in other words, there is a way round the problems that they're having in in terms of getting American or uh, soya moved out of their country. Or more importantly, the Chinese are still buying soya. Uh, it's just it's Canadian soya, and the Canadians are now buying American. So it's a we can all see what's happening there. Uh, it's it's uh, it's politics at its best. This week we had the USDA, this last week, sorry, we had the USDA uh, on Thursday night and the only interesting thing of that was they suddenly discovered an extra 150 million tonnes of corn stocks in China. Now that's like uh, 10 or 11 UK wheat harvests being harvested, shoved in a shed and hidden and then suddenly we open the door and find, you know, uh, 150 million tonnes of the stuff sitting there. Initially the market jumped downwards but by the end of the day's trading it had come back to unchanged the point being that any chinese stock is only used in china anyway and whether it's truly there or whether it isn't is a debate i think we'll touch on that a bit later with with in in the banter session i think i think that's one we want to want to chew over prospects as we go ahead in the next week or two i think old crop wheat's had enough of going down i think there's a few boats have been traded a few shippers have got some commitments to go through their ports they've stuck their neck out sold some boats and I think there'll be a few few cargoes uh, moving. I think that also the consumers of feed grains will probably start tidying their books up for Jan, Feb, March. In other words, they'll be coming in to buy. And I don't think necessarily farmers are in the mood to sell, especially the, uh, because the prices come down. So I don't see much more downside in the next couple of weeks to feed wheat prices. If anything, it might just creep upwards. Nowadays, consumers get their books tidy by the first week of December, and then nothing happens from December onwards. So I think during November, the last couple of weeks, I think we will see a little bit of buying interest and a slight movement up but there's nothing there to get excited about thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours the family-run west barsham estate near fakenham is home to the barsham brewery north norfolk's sea air and unique microclimate helps them to produce some of the best malting barley in the world at west barsham they grow maris otter barley malted just down the road at Chris Maltings, and then blended with water from their very own well. They specialise in wholesome, traditional beer styles, with a real focus on quality and consistency, and are very proud to be the purveyors of a homegrown product in the truest sense. Available on tap in many local Norfolk pubs, or by appointment at West Barsham. For more details, visit barshambrewery.co.uk. And now it's time for our feature. So today I'm with Chris Rideout, um, Senior Scientist at the John Innes Centre. And we're going to be talking about beer and barley, aren't we? Yes. Can you explain to us how you started getting involved in heritage lines of barley? Um, well, actually, it goes quite a way back um, to 2001. Um, we did a, a public demonstration. Uh, we wanted to show people that barley was used to make beer. So we worked with Brew Lab up in Sunderland and we dug some seeds out of our seed collection here at the John Innes Centre, some old varieties and some modern varieties, and we wanted to sort of put them side by side so that people could see how they differed. In fact, there wasn't an awful lot of difference between them, but the, the kind of the fun part of the whole thing was we made some beer um, and uh, we gave it away during the event, and, and so the whole event was quite popular. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can explain a bit more about the advantage of bringing back these barleys from seed stocks held at JIC. Yeah, so 
After that um, initial trial back in 2001, um, we kept the seeds from these old varieties. And what happened then was we sort of developed a project and we started looking at disease resistance. The idea is that a lot of these older varieties are more genetically diverse than the modern varieties and we can find interesting traits in there for things such as disease resistance or maybe drought tolerance or perhaps there are some flavour attributes of these old varieties that might be useful for modern um, breeding. And can you explain the science of why when you bring these seeds out from the seed store they are resistant to disease because that's something that I've always struggled to understand. Yeah. So they're not all resistant, okay? Right. Um, they're all, they're very genetically diverse. So they've been collected from all around the world. There was there was a big phase at, at sort of the, the beginning of the uh, 1900s where uh, people went around the world and collected seeds from markets and they, they stored them in these collections right. um, and they're available for everyone to use. And because they're genetically diverse, what, um, what you find is that you take a particular cultivar or a land race, as it's called. That means it hasn't been bred, but it's just from a local area. Right. It's unique. Its genetic makeup is unique. And within that, uh, just as people are different, uh, with different uh, eye colour, different hair colour and what, whatever, these varieties have different sets of genes. And some of those are valuable because they might confer things like disease resistance right. or they might influence the yield or the height of the plant. So all of these traits can be bred in and that's how modern breeding sort of began really. And so does it take quite a long time to get rid of the traits you don't want and find the traits that you do want? How do you do that? Well, crossing does take a long time, okay? What happens is you find the trait that you're interested in and then you cross it to another variety and then you select from the progeny one that you think has the best combination of the traits that you want. Right. But in a crop like barley, you know, it, uh, you can get one or two generations per year. So it takes a long time. So I understand that you found a variety Chevalier, is that right, of mm. the barley. Did you change that from the seed that, you'd, that you found from 1824 or, or did you? No, it's exactly the same as uh, what it was when it was put into the seed store. It may have been multiplied over the years because seeds don't last forever. Um, and there are seed collections around the world and they will have this process where they will sort of regenerate them every 20, 30 or 40, 50 years, depending on uh, what species it is. Right. Um, but essentially, it's genetically pure. It will have been the same as it was when it was uh, put into the seed collection back in 1824. So what is special about the Chevalier barley variety and why did you choose to start this venture with that type of, of barley? So... Um, Chevalier was the first malting barley ever selected for the brewing industry, selected by the Reverend Chevalier from Suffolk. So if you're going to start a project on heritage barleys for malting, why not choose this one? It was the first. But not only that, it was the only one available for nearly 100 years. Wow. Okay, This was really at a time when plant breeding was in its infancy, uh, and didn't really take off until the late 1800s, early 1900s. So the fact that it was being produced all over the country, and in fact all over the world, for such a long period of time, it made us think, well, maybe there was something special about this variety. Maybe there was something in the way it grew, or the way it produced beer, that was interesting and, and that had been lost over time. It's also interesting that 
even when it started to be in decline in the sort of early 1900s, beers made from Chevalier were still winning the top prizes at the annual beer festival in London. Whether that told us that actually the beer was better or it's just that people were used to the way beer used to taste and preferred it, we don't know. But again, that was interesting. And there's also some old literature that says things like grows well without manure, stands well in dry conditions. So we thought there might be some interesting traits that we could look at. Definitely. And I understand that there was a kind of comp- there's been a company set up um, on the back of this research, is that right? Yes. So at that time that we were starting to do this work, there was a real boom in the craft brewing sector. Yeah. And there were lots of microbreweries being set, set up. And they were all looking for something interesting and distinctive to make their beer from. So it seemed that there was a demand being created for heritage varieties. So what we did was we started working with um, Chris Malting Group, who did some trials for us on the malting qualities and so on. But at the John Innes Centre... You know, we do science here. We we're not a we're not in the business of see it selling seed. Right. So uh, we decided to start a company, which is uh, now run by Sarah DeVos. She's the director um, of New Heritage Barley Limited. So what the company does is it explores the traits of old barley's and and looks at the market and um, decides which ones might be useful to bring on. Amazing. And so they're being used by quite a few different brewers? Um, yes, um, they are. So so Chris uh, produces Chevalier malt and they sell it all around the world. And, it, it, you know, as, as a scientist, it's really interesting to follow things on Twitter and to see what people are doing with this malt, which started its life in our seed store uh, a number of years ago. Um, so as a scientist, it's quite satisfying to see it come all the way through from a scientific en- endeavor as it were through into a commercial reality Definitely. but it's sold all over the world with um, those brewers in japan in the united states all over europe and it's great and how does chevalier taste i mean what's sort of different about it so yeah that's a really really good question it was when we started we had no idea if it would be any different from a modern variety and we did a whole series of brewing trials to to test that i think what you can say is it, it, it's, it's quite rich in protein. Right. That means it's got a really noticeable mouthfeel to it. It's quite a, a satisfying, full-bodied drink. Right. Also, because it's quite rich, a rich maltiness, it, it balances the hops in a different way. So you get a more rounded style of beer where the hops um, kind of mellow into the whole flavour rather than being obviously very hop-dominated. Right. So you've got mouthfeel, you've got a, a well-balanced uh, drink uh, with the hops. And with regard to flavours, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not an expert on this, but I do follow what people do in the taste evaluations. Right. And they're coming up with uh, biscuit notes or honey notes. Right. So I'm sort of painting a picture of perhaps a, an, an old-fashioned kind of flavour of a, a rich, wholesome kind of drink. You can sort of imagine them kind of, drinking them out of, I don't know, metal tankards and sort of smacking them together in old bars somewhere in the dark. Almost. <laughs> well, yeah. I, a, another feature of the beer is head retention. So that means that when you see a nice pint of beer in a pub, it's nice if that head stays as you drink it all the way down the glass. Ah, okay? right, right. Head retention. It, it looks like a wholesome drink. Yeah. yeah? And 
actually, you know, a lot of modern beers are quite sort of low in protein. Right. And it's difficult to get that head that stays in a pub. You, you, you may have noticed, you know, if, if you're in a pub, you can say, well, that, that beer looks, it looks okay when you serve it, but eventually the head disappears about halfway down. It's kind of the visual appeal. Yeah. All right. And I thought, oh, let's have a look at some film archive. All right. Of some beers that were pro- produced back in the 30s. And you can see the way that the, the beer goes into the glass and it's got this big head on it, you know. Right. And, and uh, you think, oh, actually, that looks a bit like our Chevalier beers. Right, yeah. yeah. So um, the way beer looks as opposed to taste. Yeah, it's changed and now we're bringing it back. And so finally, like, I know your kind of expertise is in disease resistance. How does this feed into that or how's it related? So that was really kind of where we started scientifically is that the focus of my work is on disease resistance. So we use genetic diversity to find sources of disease resistance that might be useful for plant breeders to cross into their modern varieties. Right. So with Chevalier, we found that it was resistant to fusarium, right. which is um, a disease which contaminates the grain with mycotoxins. It's, it's not so important in the UK, um, but it does occur uh, in other parts of Europe, and it's, it's particularly prevalent in the United States. Right. So it's a useful trait. We know it's in there. And we make that information available to to people so that they can use it. Oh, well, thank you so much for um, your interview today, Chris. That's fantastic. Okay, thank you very much. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. Keep your eyes peeled on Dewing Grain social media channels for a very exciting Christmas giveaway worth £500. Find us at Dewing Grain on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Right, today you're back to the originals. It's Webby and Andrew. <laughs> and um, I, the first thing I want to say is we've had a remarkably large number of Barsham Breweries beers, haven't we? We have, yeah. I've enjoyed them. Yeah, they've been Great really beers. generous. They've given us lots of free beer and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Barsham Brewery. Mm, thank you. This week... It's an amber-coloured, easy-drinking bitter with a balanced mosaic hop finish. Contains barley, is a warning. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, um, it is Barsham Oaks, and it is a 3.6%, and uh, I'm in definite need of a drink of it. So it what do we think? Yeah, let's... Cheers. Yeah, another good beer. Yeah, that's nice. Very, uh, it's a light, nice, just pale ale. Really enjoyable. Yeah, we could do that on a Friday night, couldn't we? Easy, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's um, hopefully... I, I don't know whether the bathroom have got many more to go at, but we're, we're, we're going to... I think we're getting through them. Um, I've got, I think we've got one... We haven't tried the stout yet, Andrew, but I think that's uh, next on the list, yeah, potentially. Okay, yeah, well, we'll do that next week. Yeah. So what should we talk about this week? I know Ruon. Ruon, Ruon. So, unfortunately for you, Andrew, you, you missed it, but... Um, it was an eventful weekend, um, a couple of days. Uh, the trade, 
Well, unfortunately, actually not too many of the UK trade. It, uh, several of the UK trade were absent from it, but it was the uh, European bourse in Rouen. I understand from Ben that you that gave you the opportunity to... Um, Practice, practice my French, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My French A-level went a very long way, Andrew. Did um, it? My folks would be really pleased to hear. What's your your key phrases? I think, well, I, I made Dale Boy look pretty good at French, to be honest. <laughs> um, ben didn't step in to, uh, to fluently just cover the... He right. watched me sink very quickly and I mean, enjoyed it. He thrived on it. But no, it's, it, was a, it was a very good couple of days. We uh, met several of the European trade, which was good. I enjoyed Had a couple of beers with the French... Yeah, what, I mean, what sort of mood is this industry in? It was, unfortunately, it's very downbeat, given the trade, um, with the lack of UK representations in um, in Rouen, but uh, Why didn't is stop it, us. It's, it's because, it, I mean, it's on a serious note. I mean, there's there's been a lot of losses in the grain trade this year. Have. I, think, I think people have tightened their belt, and it's quite evident. Yeah, you can't justify yeah. spending money on a trip to France when, uh, when you've lost no. some money. No. But that is hardly the way to kind of keep moving forward, is it? No, I think I think for us it was a good thing to be there and to be seen and enjoy it, and you never know who you'll meet. So no, a very worthwhile trip, and man- managed to gain a bit more culture. Sank a few oysters, Andrew. Um, <laughs> so yeah, lucky, lucky old Izzy. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> they didn't work for me though the oysters. But, uh, <laughs> Too many beers. Yeah. What? Um, so, so it, the the you know the French, the Germans, are they all kind of? What was the mood? Yeah, it was. I think globally, the whole trade is feeling it. It seemed to be the um, the sentiment around the place. Less people. Yeah, fewer people. Yeah, there's going to be less traders, aren't there? There's, it's yeah. less and less people. Consolidation doing. throughout the whole yeah. trade, unfortunately, which is going to get a bit dull, isn't it? Opportunity for us, though. Well, do, yeah, one, one would hope there's an, there's there aren't so many characters, are there? Everyone's a little bit uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Graduate trainee. <laughs> My pet, and the, your pet, hey Andrew, and I, you, you love the graduate trainee. There is a problem with lack of personality, and yeah, I'm I'm worried about the trade. I've got to say, um, quite where. Well, well, will we be trading with our foreign counterparts? What was their view on uh, on Brexit and, and our likely future? It was interesting chatting to a couple of French guys who I'm sure will be listening to actually some of the they're in in the UK at the moment. But they, I mean, they were concerned about where things go beyond Brexit, even residency and, and being here, which was quite interesting. Um, but the the French weren't overly wrapped up with being in the EU like us, but they'd rather us stay stay together but um just comments that it would be a house of cards after our exit which was so well i know a number of people would be really pleased with that wouldn't they but it's mm. it's kind of it's not great all this populism and and far-right politics not that we really understand it but mm. yeah it's not looking pretty is it i would i would have to i mean just uh have to name drop someone actually from from the ruan boss was beyonce no, no. Brad Skin has taken inspiration from our earlier podcast and has actually grown himself a top knot, which oh is quite <laughs> quite impressive. Well, <clears throat> as, and, as and I, he, is, he is a very avid listener. He's on there every Monday morning, eight oh, o'clock in the morning, oh. on the way to work. Uh, as I said previously, and especially for you, Brad, um, if I had hair on top there, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, while you were gallivanting uh, in in Rouen and and mm. and being very grown up at the same time, I'm sure every now and again, uh, I was on a crop tour. 
You were. I drove down to the the, the bottom of uh, Spain and went across into Portugal, um, and I did the uh, you know the beached whale impression on the on the beach down there for, for a day or two. Um, but driving down and driving back with my with my eldest daughter, we um, we were able to go through what I would describe as um, a phenomenal crop in the ground. Yeah. It's it's rained. It's been dry leading up to then, but. Spain was green. You expect all of those plains to be, you know, bone dry yeah, and, sure. and yeah. yellow. But there were, there were, you know, all of the lakes were full. All of the little rivers mm. had water running in them. The land had been worked. The crops had been put in the ground. They have definitely got off to a very good start mm. from top to bottom. And while we were there, there were several, um, you know, weather Work fronts it, started yeah. working their way across. Mm. And as and going into France, um, they had. Well, they'd got the corn crop out, they'd put, put cereals mm. in behind it. Mm. They'd obviously done a lot of work in the last fortnight to, to play yeah, some yeah. catch-up. Yeah. And yeah. although there were some patchy bits and pieces of rape... I'd have to say we saw the same on our short journey from Calais to Rouen. We saw the same. Some wheat fields that look backwards, but, yeah, generally good conditions. Please. Yeah. With that rain... That's I'd, just I'd, I'm, I'm going to have to use some of my French here, Andrew, but the rapeseed crop was what I'd describe as med... It was in real trouble. I was really shocked. It, um, it your, your your teacher's going to be so know, proud of so, you. So proud, so proud. But no, I, I was, that was one very eye-opening thing is the French rapeseed crop looked um, in an awful state. Did you spend the last 10 minutes trying to think of a French word that you could use? Yeah. You did, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Such a plonker. <laughs> Um, anyway, right. Let's let's, yeah. let's move on from your. What? <laughs> um, what about but, the, well, USDA? USDA. Yeah. Let's talk about that because that, recently, that, that yeah. um, recent report came out, and um, mm. yeah, 150 million tons. Let's talk about let's talk about the corn discovery. I, uh, yeah, the the blind side news was the corn crop. So the year end stocks or carryout stocks came in at 307 million tons which was 149 million tonnes over the estimate. Mm. That's like... It's huge. That's like 11 UK wheat harvests not being Rolled used, into one. stored yep. up into a shed, and then someone opens one and goes, oh, oh look, there. Yeah. we've got another 150 million tonnes. Yeah, I think as I read some of this morning, it was 7 million hectares worth of grain over several it's years. It's, um, yeah. So what do we do? Do we, do we, A, believe the Chinese figures? There is scepticism, obviously, there must be. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. It's not relevant in the Chinese stocks. Will never see the world. So, in the global picture, it's not that relevant. So they might be there. They might not be there. They might be used. They might not be yeah. used. There's 150 million tons. The market went down instantly. You know, it dropped. It did, but it came back to unchanged. I think people kind of second thought and said, actually, what's what's the relevance? Mm. And and is it? A, I mean, to be with people thought it was a almost fake news, fake number, typo figure, because it was vast, it was huge. But I think, I think that's the point. You, you can make figures. You, 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 you know, farmers will be going to conferences as we go through mm. the year, and these set of figures will show a massive increase in, in stock. You can make that look incredibly bearish, can't you? Can you? Yeah. Out of context, mm. i.e. it'll never move, it'll never get exported, it doesn't compete with anybody... Mm. Does it mean they won't import as much? No, they'll probably keep importing as much. Yeah. What that means is that people can use those figures to paint a picture or a story mm. to persuade people to do a trade, and maybe, just maybe, they're being a little bit selective in the way they present it. 
you think you, you're suggesting there'll be some selling creeping in? Is that what you're thinking? Andrew? No, I'm that, thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking that I think I'm trying to say that figures that are presented to you when you go to a conference, there's nothing quite like actually understanding it yourself. Yeah. The USDA is published, isn't it? You can look at it online the minute it comes out. Mm. At the same time, everybody else sees it. Mm. And if you look at the last, and it, it helps by saying this is what the last three years are. This is what the production was, consumption. This is who's got it, yeah, who yeah. hasn't. It breaks it down by country. Yeah. And it also shows um, the difference between the last projection a month ago and That's now. Yeah. So if you studied it hmm. as a producer of grain, which this is the product, product that you're trading and making your living from, if you actually did some work and looked at it, you could, you could draw your own conclusion from it. Yeah. You would then be able to see that within those figures there was a smaller US crop. Yeah. And a US or a oh, I, I, if you took the US figures, the corn and bean crops, actually, it was a bullish report. It was. There were some bullish bits. I'd, I'd have to say, just talking about farmers and looking for USE info, if I go straight onto Twitter because I follow a lot of people on Twitter and the information is there, bang, five o'clock on USDA day. So it's um, there's enough information out there for people to, to find it. Yeah. We were thinking about possibly next time we have a USDA, inviting a few people in to watch the, the screen as it happens because we, we always get there and congregate around hoping something dynamic is going to yeah. happen and have a, have a you know oh, it's exciting yeah, I enjoy tea and some biscuits and perhaps watch it <laughs> at five o'clock on a Thursday evening the first Thursday of the month or the second yeah. Thursday of the month but no I, I think I think the, the reaction was interesting in the fact that it dropped the market dropped to the report and then ended up actually on corn being slightly higher at the end of the day mm. which just says the report has less meaning than it used to I think fair comment. Was there any other shocks in there? No, they they uh, pulled the Australian crop down. I think it's from 19 million down to 17 and a half, which I think sort of independently people are thinking that's still a little bit top heavy. I've had sort of 16 million tons as the recent figures. Um, yeah, no, so I there's think, still some room for that to go down a bit. Yeah, I think so. Okay. On that no no real shocks or anything, Andrew. Okay, so shall we um, finish our beer? Good idea. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.